This week, a look at how provincial government policy contributes to the historic rain events of the kind that hit southwestern Newfoundland last week. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 200, a milestone here for us at Mi'kmaq Matters. Thanks to all of you who have helped make it possible by offering story ideas, by being guests on the program, and for your financial support via patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters and email transfer mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. One day last week, we saw Premier Andrew Fury handing out $25 million in taxpayer money to support the fossil fuel industry. The next day, a historic storm moved into southwestern Newfoundland, dropping more than 200 millimeters of rain before it moved off, leaving the Trans-Canada Highway washed out in four places. The rain came from a weather event known as an atmospheric river, a band of moisture in the sky that, as we'll hear on this week's episode, holds more water than many of the world's largest rivers. Atmospheric rivers also caused the catastrophic flooding out in B.C., but they are less talked about on the Atlantic coast until now. Scientists were surprised to see such a large atmospheric river on this side of the continent. But the unexpected is the new normal in a time of climate change. Climate change caused in part by the fossil fuel industry gifted with our tax money by Andrew Fury last week. Not only does the warming of the earth cause more moisture to collect in the atmosphere, some scientists also suggest that climate change will lead to a reduction in prevailing west-to-east wind speeds, which will cause atmospheric rivers to remain parked over the same location, dropping extremely high levels of water, as happened in southwest Newfoundland last week. We have two guests on the program this week, experts on the phenomenon known as the atmospheric river. Later in the show, we'll be hearing from Marty Ralph, a meteorologist at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego. But first to BC, where we reached Rachel White, an atmospheric scientist at the University of British Columbia. We spoke with her about what we know about atmospheric rivers, what still has to be confirmed, and how coastal communities in places like Newfoundland will be hit hard by climate change. Let's... uh talk first of all about this phrase we're hearing atmospheric river Uh, tell us what that is so it's a term that was coined sort of in the scientific community but has now come to sort of more public usage as we've had these events that are um, associated with atmospheric rivers but end up with a lot of flooding and so essentially it's a band of uh, moisture in the atmosphere Um, And so it transports an awful lot of moisture in the form of water vapor. Um, And so it's sort of analogous to rivers on land in that it's a narrow, confined band of moisture. Um, They're much wider than uh, sort of rivers on land, but they do transport an awful lot of moisture. Some estimates say sort of around 15 times the flow of the Mississippi, some of the atmospheric rivers. Um, And so they, they just bring this water vapor in a very narrow band. Um, and when, when we start talking about them, 
is when that water vapor is directed towards land masses um, and when that water vapor condenses out and comes out as rainfall. It can often be particularly heavy and intense rainfall and last for a long time because of the large quantities of water vapor in this atmospheric river. Uh, now, they're uh, more associated with the Pacific coast uh, than the Atlantic coast. Uh, uh, the prevailing wind is uh, is west to east, and uh, the water comes off the Pacific and um, and the Pacific coast. Uh, BC recently um, uh, can feel the the impact. In the past, a little while, we've also had an event in Newfoundland on the Atlantic coast, affecting Cape Breton and southwestern Newfoundland, and. Um, unusual there for the severity of this uh, of this event and of course uh, the conversation uh, arises about the impact of climate change on these atmospheric rivers and i gather that there's uh, a consensus among scientists about some things and not a consensus on other things so on uh, let's talk first about uh, what scientists do agree about uh, the relationship between climate change and atmospheric rivers. Indeed. And so this is this is more broadly a relationship between climate change and, and the warming that comes with climate change and heavy precipitation. And so we know very clearly that as we warm the atmosphere, as we warm the oceans, more water is evaporated from those oceans. And so more water vapor um, is in the atmosphere. And so when we look at events like atmospheric rivers, they can have more water vapor in them in a warmer climate. And so when we have these very extreme precipitation events, as we've been seeing in both, on, as you were saying, on the West Coast and the East Coast recently, when we have these very heavy events, what that, that essentially scales with the amount of water vapor in the atmosphere. And there's a very sort of clear scientific relationship that as we warm the climate by one degree Celsius, the amount of water vapor in the atmosphere will increase by 7%. Um, and so if we sort of warm the atmosphere by two degrees Celsius, which is one of the current um, goals, we've now sort of shifted to 1.5, realizing that two degrees is um, too much, that would be 14% more water vapor in the atmosphere. And so this means that when we have these really heavy precipitation events, um, we have sort of 14% more moisture that can come out under a two degrees warming. And so that's, this is why we know that as we increase the temperature, heavy precipitation events are very likely to get heavier and heavier. Now, as we say, that's, there's not much dispute about that among scientists. That's, you know, that's, uh, we, have, we have an understanding about that. Indeed. Um, now, there is... Uh, there's another line of research on um, which there is perhaps not a consensus about the possibility of climate change affecting wind speeds. And of course, that would be a big deal in terms of uh, atmospheric rivers, because if they're stalled and not being moved by the wind, then of course, the impact uh, would be even more severe. So what, uh, what is the discussion among scientists about that aspect of, uh, of climate change in atmospheric rivers? Yeah, so this is a really interesting part of climate science, um, and part of my research really focuses on this question. Um, and so that there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, and this is really why um, there isn't this so much of a consensus, as you say. 
So one argument is saying that as we see as we see more warming, what we're seeing is that the polar regions do warm faster than the lower latitudes, for example, um, in um, the mid latitudes or the tropics. And what that means is that we're actually changing the temperature gradient between the equator and the pole. And so if we're warming the Arctic more, what we're doing is reducing that difference in temperature between the equator and the pole. And there's very clear connections between that temperature gradient and the speed of the winds um, for sort of various physical reasons to do with the fluid dynamics of our atmosphere and the fact that we're on a sphere that's rotating. But essentially that, that reduction, that decrease in the difference in temperature between the equator and the pole is predicted to um, sort of shift the, the latitude of the prevailing winds a little bit and or slow down um, those winds. The, the difficulties come in that that tends to happen at the surface if we look higher up in the atmosphere, which is where a lot of sort of um, the sort of interesting dynamics of uh, weather systems happens. Actually, there's something of the opposite effect. And so regions near the equator are actually warming more than regions over the pole. And so we sort of have what's described as a tug of war. So we've got one thing happening in the upper atmosphere, we've got the, the opposite thing happening in the lower atmosphere. And so trying to work out which one of those will actually win out and so what the final impact is going to be is quite hard. Um, and so as you say, it could be that this Arctic amplification leads to these weaker winds and this could lead to more weather systems stalling, which is what happened um, over the East Atlantic in this past week where we had this atmospheric river and this storm system sort of stalled. And so we had that um, moisture flux into the same region for a long time, leading to this very heavy rainfall. But it could be that actually this what's happening in the upper atmosphere dominates and so we don't see this effect. And so it's there's a lot of research still going on to really try and understand which one of these impacts or which one of these um, effects is going to dominate and what that means for the dynamics of the climate and how that will affect our extreme weather as well. So it could be sort of a, a, a double whammy that we have both an increase in this atmospheric moisture and we have systems that stall more often, um, which could lead to devastating events. And so that's what we're really concerned about and is still a possibility. And this, of course, would be, um, I suppose, of uh, coastal communities will be uh, the most severely impacted because of water levels and um, and just their exposure to um, to the masses of water where these uh, atmospheric rivers are produced. Indeed. And so coastal communities is one of those places where there's sort of, again, we've got more than one impact. And so we've got rising sea levels, um, and that comes from actually both just the increase in temperature of the ocean. And so we do actually just get thermal expansion of the water. Warmer water takes up slightly more space. And whereas that's not sort of noticeable in a beaker when you've got an entire ocean, that produces a noticeable amount of sea level rise. And we've got melting of um, ice sheets, of glacier, of any land, ice and snow running off into the oceans that's also causing sea level rise. So when you combine that with increase in heavy rainfall events, the, the flood risk really does increase dramatically. Rachel White, an atmospheric scientist at the University of British Columbia. Most of the research on atmospheric rivers has been focused on the Pacific coast because that's where the most severe ones develop. But even there, 
weather forecasting regarding atmospheric rivers can be challenging, and the unpredictability caused by climate change will make that even more the case. We spoke about weather forecasting and atmospheric rivers with Marty Ralph, a meteorologist at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego, California. Let me ask you first uh, about uh, atmospheric rivers in general and about the challenges for meteorologists in um, providing accurate forecasts in events, uh, uh, these atmospheric uh, river events. Yeah, atmospheric rivers are really what the name sounds like. They're, they're rivers in the sky, but they're rivers of water vapor instead of liquid. And if you were to slice across one, for example, and they tend to be a few hundred miles wide and a couple thousand kilometers or miles long, and they can carry, on average, an average atmospheric river can carry 25 Mississippi rivers worth of water as vapor instead of liquid. And that's the amount of water the Mississippi dumps into the Gulf of Mexico at any given time. It's a rate. So they are really, and they're like two or three times the, the rate of flow of the Amazon River into the Atlantic. So they're literally the largest rivers on earth of fresh water, and they happen to be in the atmosphere as vapor. And if you look around the planet, like where you're at, imagine going all the way, you know, look east and imagine flying all the way around the world at your latitude and coming back to where you're at. You would cross over three or four atmospheric rivers as you flew. And if you looked at how much water vapor transport is happening horizontally within those atmospheric rivers that you crossed, they would represent probably 95% of all the water vapor transport around you know, at that latitude as you went around the Earth. And yet they only constitute about 10% of the circumference of the Earth. So from a global scale, they're really quite narrow. And they do almost, they do most, by far most of the water vapor transport in the mid-latitudes. So that's one of the key things to think of. And oh, by the way, they're down in the lowest 10,000 feet, typically. That's where 75% of the flux takes place. So they're low altitude and narrow, relatively speaking. And from a prediction standpoint, they can be tough to get right in the forecast because you've got to get the intensity of them right, like how much water vapor, how many Mississippis or whatever they're transporting. And also you have to get the location where they hit land right. It's a bit like the hurricane problem in that sense. Hurricane landfall position is the thing that there's been a lot of work on for the last 30 years or so, and there's been a lot of progress to get the position of where the hurricane hits shore right is a challenge in its own right, but there's been a lot of progress. Now the field of meteorology is working on the hurricane intensity to try to do better at getting that right as well. And ARs offer somewhat of an analogous situation because where they hit shore is vital. That determines where the heaviest rain is going to be and their intensity. And those two things combined are, are what we're working on. And I suppose the, uh, the wind and how fast they're moving, because if they, if they just stay above a certain location for a short period of time and move on, that's one thing. But if they park themselves and in the rain, that's, that's quite a different story. That's exactly right, Glenn. And it's very intuitive. Because essentially, the how long the heavy rain stays overhead is you know, going to determine the impacts a lot. You could have a very intense rainfall event that moves over quickly, and you don't accumulate all that much rain over time because it was only overhead briefly. Or you could have a moderate or strong precipitation rate, but it stalls overhead, and that's when you get the flooding problems. So that's one of the things 
we have factored into our scale for ARs is the duration of an AR over a given location is one of the two parameters that feeds into determining the ranking of an AR as a one, two, three, four, or five. Now, there are challenges uh, generally with, uh, with ARs and, and forecasting of, of ARs. And um, there's been, uh, uh, with the uh, events in BC, a discussion about the impact of climate change. And um, I suppose there are certain things that we, there's a scientific consensus on uh, uh, climate change uh, and it's what it's doing. In terms of uh, atmospheric rivers, what are the challenges uh, from forecasting and understanding what AR rivers are, are going to do and how they're going to behave with the uh, increased uh, temperatures in the, in, the, yeah. in the Earth's atmosphere? Good, good points. Uh, first, I'll add that uh, one of the key challenges in predicting ARs is they tend to form over the oceans where we don't have as much uh, observational data as we have over land. And the key conditions over the ocean that we need to get right are up in the atmosphere, not at the ocean surface as much, although the ocean surface data helps. What we really need to know is what's going on aloft. Satellites do a lot to help us with that, but a lot of satellite data depends on having clear skies in order to make the measurements. And atmospheric rivers, because they're carrying a lot of water vapor, tend to be cloudy. So it blocks some of the very important measurements that satellites make in clear air. And some of the measurements from satellite can be made in clouds and precipitation, but the quality of those measurements are degraded relative to clear air when there's heavy rain or lots of clouds. So even the satellite data that is designed to work in clouds and all that has lower quality. And when that's assimilated into the numerical weather prediction models, that creates some uncertainty in the forecast. So we've identified how to solve this a bit by taking measurements using research aircraft that are used in the summer for hurricanes uh, and fall and use them in the winter, at least on the West Coast so far, to measure atmospheric rivers over the Pacific as they're forming. It's very natural to think if you're going to try to predict an atmospheric river where it's going to hit shore in a day or two or three, it'd be really good to get it right, you know, at the starting time of the model run. So over the ocean, getting the water vapor right and the winds right and the pressure and all of that is vital to getting the atmospheric river forecast right. So we've developed something called atmospheric river reconnaissance. And last winter, we've, we've done this now for six winters, and it's an operational program in the U.S. that uses the Air Force C-130s and NOAA's G-4. And my center, the Center for Western Weather and Water Extremes, I'm the principal investigator for it and partner with Vijay Talapragauta, the director of the global forecast system that NOAA runs, uh, its global model. And we're working with ECMWF and Canadian models are using our data and others around the world. And it's helping make forecasts better of these ARs. Hmm. So that's one of the challenges there. That doesn't touch on the climate change thing. Let me turn to that for a moment. So one of the characteristics of climate change as we see it happening is the carbon dioxide and all is, is strengthening the greenhouse effect. And that is causing the atmosphere to warm. And when you warm the atmosphere, uh, you end up, uh, the, the atmosphere is able to hold more water vapor. And because an atmospheric river is this, the strength of an AR is this combination of how strong the horizontal winds are and the uh, amount of water vapor in the air. Because it's how much water vapor is being pushed along is the intensity of the AR. 
So in a warmer climate, the atmosphere in many cases is going to hold more water vapor. And if the winds are the same strength, you're going to get a stronger AR. And some of the studies in at least the Mediterranean climates of the world show an increase in the intensity or size of the big ARs, but also a longer, longer periods on average between storms. So the dry spells are going to be longer and the wet storms are going to be more important and wetter in terms of getting the annual precipitation needed in those climates. Other parts of the world are seeing changes in ARs as well, and the predictions are for uh, you know, increased strength over time uh, to occur because of this warming of the, of the atmosphere. Marty Ralph, a meteorologist at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego. That's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emsit Nogaman.